0: going to talk a little bit about how to know the will of God, and and hopefully, um, it's not an electrifying message, but it helpfully, it'll help some people stress less, have a little more confidence when you're in the unknown, when it certainly looks like what's going on, that the purpose of God for your life will stand. And you don't have to be anxious, you don't have to be on narcotics, you don't have to be on antidepressants. I think we make this stuff way too complicated, but let's see how it goes here. I think all of us have moments in life when we want to hear God's voice or receive some definite sign from Him regarding a relationship, perhaps a pending marriage, a business decision, a career choice, uh, or a major expenditure. You know, our decisions— really matter. We make decisions, our decisions turn around and make us. And we face so many questions throughout all of our lifetime. Like, how about, should I get married? If the answer is yes, who should I marry? You know, Jake or Susie, uh, Arenda, Joe, Sally? Should I go to college? If the answer is yes, should I go to Alabama, UT, UCLA, A&M? I've been offered a new job. It's a good job, Rick. I've got a good job. Should I take the new job? Should I just hold on to the one I have? We have two children. We're thinking about a third. Don't. Oh, anyway. (laughs) Just teasing. Just teasing. Should we have another one, or should we think about adopting? Is God calling me to the mission field? And a girl asked me that 20 years ago, and I said, honey, uh, do you like to travel? She said, oh, I hate it. I said, nope. (laughs) No, He ain't calling you to the mission field. So how can I be sure, Rick? Three colleges are interested in me. How do I know which one to choose? Uh, Once you turn in your application, it's nail-biting time. Which college will accept me? Which ones will say no? What if three say yes, but my personal favorite says no? What if they say yes, but mom and dad can't afford it? What do you do then? Is there any way to be 100 percent certain about God's will when you're making a major choice in life or a college? I think it'd be a lot easier if you could just open the front door one evening and be greeted by a whole crowd of angels all shouting, A&M! Something like that, you know? Or, dear Beth, go to UCLA. Love God. Boy, wouldn't that make it easy? But remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. And I want to say to you, you are not going to get 100 percent assurance and confidence before you make a choice, because it would require zero faith. That's totally foreign to Scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Now, I really hope I can— calm your anxiety down in just a few moments. Most of the times, we research, we study, we narrow the options, we talk it over with trusted confidants, we pray about it, we wait on the Lord, and then we make our choice. Now remember, I think the reason we get confused is we think it's our problem. If you're a believer and you want the will of God, it's God's problem, not yours. And I think the central issue for most people regarding God's will is, we sure would like it if somebody else would make the choice for us, somebody else make the call. You know, if God would only tell us what to do with 100% certainty in any given situation, I'm going to tell you that's not going to happen, so why don't you just relax? It isn't going to happen, and I'll prove it in a minute. I think maybe you could get up to 95 percent probability, but that's about as good as most of us are ever going to get in life, which leads me to share an important principle. God wants you to know His will a whole lot more than you really want to know it, and He takes personal responsibility to see that you discover it. That is really comforting to me. Knowing God's will ultimately is God's problem, not yours. Now let me suggest, if that's true, what that really means. He can put you exactly where He wants you to be. He can arrange all the details of your life years in advance. He can open doors that seem shut tight. He can remove any obstacle that stands in your way. He can take your choices and fit them into His plan so you end up at the right place at the right time. He can even take your mistakes and bring good out of them. Don't forget He's our Redeemer. He redeems things. He can take tragedy and use it for your good and His glory. All He needs is a willing heart, just someone to reasonably cooperate. This doesn't mean you won't have to make difficult and hard choices. You will. But it takes the pressure off because it means you can trust God to take your decisions, your choices, and use them to accomplish His will in your life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. The steps of a good man are ordered or directed by the Lord. Even when you don't know what the heck's going on, he's directing them. Joseph didn't know what was going on. He went through all kinds of ups and downs. He looked like anything but a man headed toward destiny. He's headed to slavery. He's headed to jail. He's headed to all uh, kinds—being forgotten, rejected. And yet, we read all through Scripture, but the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph. However, Joseph didn't get to read that. It hadn't been written. He was living it, but it hadn't been written. But God said, I recorded it so you could be encouraged that all Joseph thought this was totally alien to my plan for him to be a ruler. I was with him directing his steps. It just wasn't the way he thought it was going to go. And no matter what the enemy did, he couldn't stop the purpose of God for Joseph. And He can't stop it for you. Wow. So, take a deep breath. Believe you're not God. He is. I think that is really comforting to know. You know, there is a God, and it ain't me. And that's why I'm hanging on to Him and trusting Him. There's a couple of verses in Proverbs that talk about the sovereignty of God and allowing our choices to be governed by God in order to accomplish His perfect will in us. Proverbs 16, 9 says, In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. It's a very strong word that talks about God's sovereignty over the details of our life in this universe. Maybe you've heard it said, Man proposes, but God disposes. You can make all your plans. You can map out your life step by step, but in the end, if you follow Jesus and you want His will, God will determine the steps you take. That is very encouraging. Proverbs 19, verse 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Wow. Let me paraphrase that. You can make all the plans you like, but God gets the last word. I love that. He's got, I'm planning. You're supposed to plan. But God will dispose of the plans that aren't His, that His plans may stand sure. And when God determines to do something in your life, it's going to happen. If He will deliver you. He will, he will give you anti-aging uh, anointing like Abraham. He will open the Red Sea. He'll feed you with ravens or a widow. I mean, this amazing God is not limited by time or space or circumstances, even though you are. And so, don't don't limit this God. Once you put your life in His hands, give Him the steering wheel. If God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. Really. He's supposed to be the one directing this show. And so, you can make all the speeches you want, announce all your long-range plans, give your 10-year goals and your personal objectives, but just remember, when you're finished, God gets the last word. Proverbs 20, verse 24, a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? Well, you can't. It takes God to plan that life and the steps that we take. Now, remember, He's God. You're not, so don't over get over anxious, don't over analyze, and get into total uh, procrastination where you're afraid to make a choice. I think what happens is that we forget that He is in control of the life I gave Him. I do want to make good choices, but I'm a limited human being. I can't see the future, but I can, I've got Scripture. I've got prayer. I've got wise people. And then you've got a peace in your heart, and at the end of the day, I have to do that and trust God. And I have to believe, regardless of what happens, He will orchestrate my life and I'll end up where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do. I don't have to obsess, hyperventilate, or control everyone and everything around me. I don't have to worry about the minutia, the little miniature things of life. I can have confidence that this God is going to take care of everything. You know, you can sleep well once you realize God's in control of your life. I don't like everything. I don't understand everything, just like you, but I do know He's in control. And I know no human being energized by Satan, not even Satan himself, can stop the purpose of God for your life or mine. Now remember, you don't know all that when you're in the middle of it. So I'm giving you the Scripture to show God's still in charge no matter what's going on, and you don't have to worry, but I'm afraid I'll miss the will of God. God says, if any man will do My will, he will know. The purposes of God stand firm. You will not miss the will of God. I, I, I don't—I mean, anybody that reasonably wants to do the will of God is never going to miss the will of God. It is not that narrow, for crying out loud. I think this is a lot easier than most people think, and I think we've got this silly idea that uh, I've got to be exactly right about everything. Well, good luck. I, I, it's not possible to do that. Corey Tinboom was having trouble sleeping one night because she was so worried about some of the affairs going on in her life, and she tried praying, but she said it didn't help. Finally, she felt the Lord just kind of spoke in her little heart peace and said, go to sleep, Corey. I'm going to be up all night anyway. <laughs> Maybe I need to tell some of you, you don't need an antidepressant or Ambien. Go to sleep. Lay your head on your pillow knowing Dad's up, he's in charge. And He's going to govern the affairs of your life. If He shuts the door and opens the door, He's just directing you. It's going to be all right. Yeah. Quit worrying about it. All I can tell Cindy is, it's going to come out right. I don't, I don't have everything down. When we came here to start this church, well, how do you know, honey? Well, what if nobody comes? Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, we'll go back home. <laughs> See how much I stress about it? Well, there's no guarantee it'll go. We, d- we did the same thing. Pray, wait, ask, get wisdom. Godly counsel, people, spiritual authority, agreement between husband and wife. But that doesn't guarantee success. That does, that does minimize risk, but it doesn't take, take away the risk that, we, well, we think we've heard God. We think this is the right thing to do, but we got to pull the trigger or go home. So we pull the trigger. And I'm just trying to say, if people ask me, well, how did you know for sure? No for sure? I didn't have a clue. No, for sure. I I remember one lady walked up to me about the second or third week. We we were meeting in a school. All we had was an auditorium. Kids were on blankets and bassinets, and she came up to me after the service. This is the intelligent American Christian. And she said, Pastor, uh, do we have a class for divorced singles? I looked at her, and I says, lady, I just hope we pay the rent on this school. For this day, you worried about divorce care? I just hope we can pay for the room. At this point, we don't have any history. We don't own anything, and you worried about a class for divorce singles. I'm going to slap you. I got big things on my plate right now, and that's not one of them. If we make it, well, okay. But right now, let's just hope we get enough to pay the school. Does that make sense to you? Don't get goofy and get all mystical and religious. So let's give four principles to knowing the will of God. They're real simple. Number one, use all of your intelligence to make wise decisions. I mean, some people in the church talk like you shouldn't use your brain at all. They're looking for some mystical sign. Well, a dove appeared on our back porch this morning as I was having coffee and praying, and I feel that was a sign from—I got doves all over my backyard because my wife has feeders. All it means is free food, and they're coming for it. God didn't say a word. You see how silly people get? This is not the way God leads you. He says, don't lean into your own understanding, but don't throw your brain away. It simply means after doing all your research on a given subject or decision, submit it to God, ask for His help. If you need to make a major decision, don't wait for angels to knock on your door. Use your head. Study the situation. Gather the facts. Talk to your friends. Seek godly counsel. Then submit it to the Lord and go for it. Why would I not be afraid? Though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will uphold him. God will sustain you if you make the choice and it doesn't work out, so don't be afraid. Now be sure you get wisdom first. Be sure you use all that to weed out what's obvious. Uh, In the New Testament book of Acts, it said about deacons, find seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Just because you can speak in tongues and you're anointed with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're smart. Let me introduce you to some charismatics. No, you don't give away your brain because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You still need wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom's in His Word. And the Holy Spirit says, you can ask of God who gives to all men liberally. So be sure you start first with the natural wisdom, intelligence, experience, talking to people who have been there, done that. Who have—who who, who know God's Word and who are not gullible or uh, people who can give you good advice, but at the end, you have to make the choice. So, you cull it down as far as you can get, but then you still have to drive out of town or you have to go to the bank and borrow the money or you have to walk to the altar and say, I do. But at the end of the day, it takes faith. There's risk in it. There's a risk. But there's no risk in God saying, I'm going to preserve your steps. If you want to do my will, I'm going to make sure your steps are going to be ordered, even when the door shuts, even when you're laid off from a job, even when something fails and unexpected things happen and set back. I'm involved in your life, and I will bring what I've promised to pass. So use your intelligence first. Get wisdom. Get understanding. You know, the Bible in Proverbs says, the principal thing is wisdom. You hear, the Holy Spirit anoints us. We need an anointing. But for crying out loud, half the people making mistakes need a brain. You know, a guy on cocaine could make better choices than some people who who, who speak in tongues and claim to be uh, Spirit-filled, but they don't seem to have a brain. What did you do that for? Who told them to do that? I've got friends I've known for years, and I thought. Holy cow, you know, intelligence may have a limit, but stupidity does not seem to have any limit at all. So, God says, get wisdom. So, so can, I'd like to go to this college, but mom and dad can't afford $50,000 for a semester, so I'm going to have to go to a college that I'd prefer as not my first choice. Yes, and if that's the case, then guess what? God will guide and order your steps. You'll meet the right person there, could be a future mate. You'll have a contact. You'll have a professor. You'll have an experience that will direct you in the course of life. God will work through all of those disappointments or setbacks to direct your path as to where you're going. In our Saturday breakfast, uh, 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 Major Steve Sheridan, uh, a member of our church, was a South Korean-born orphan. His parents gave him what? Didn't even give him a name. No relative. He has nothing. Just put him in an orphanage, and a Caucasian-American couple in South Korea went to that orphanage and adopted him. These were believing Christians with the last name Sheridan, although he's clearly Asian. He was in a a nine o'clock service. And he went from an orphanage, talk about the will of God, through these parents living in Chicago, a lot of discrimination in his case because it was either white, Puerto Rican, uh, African-American, and he's the only Asian. So, he, he faced a lot of issues. And then in the military, and God directed that man's steps. He met Nancy, got his kids, this door shut, had a setback here. And boy, looking back at his career and his life, it was like, Wow! It was like jerky, all kinds, but you can see how God ordered His steps from an orphanage to an officer. God was with this young man right from that abandonment. God will direct your steps and bring an incredible blessing out of your mess, and can do—that ought to give hope to everybody that lives in a bad situation. You come from a minority background, disadvantaged. Well, him too. And this was what's funny. P- forgive me, but this was just funny. Uh, Percy and Danelle uh, are PPC leaders. They're African Americans. And when they first joined the church, the Sheratons, years ago, their uh, last name is Sheraton. However, they look like Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah. But Sheraton's a Caucasian name, right? So. Steve's talking about, well, I, I had to get a PPC, and I wondered if anybody was going to claim me, and everybody was getting claimed, and Percy and Dane Eller wonder Sheraton. Sher- I don't see no Sheraton. I see an Asian over there, but that's supposed to be Bruce Lee. I don't know who Sheraton is, and it was so funny because he's Asian, but he got an American Caucasian name. It was just funny, and then they hooked up, and he's become a delight and a great leader and a great blessing to the church and to other people as well. But that's how God works. It's just strange and funny sometimes how He works things out. Principle number two, since you don't know the future, you will rarely have 100% certainty about your decisions. I've already mentioned that our greatest stumbling block is wanting to get 100 percent certainty. But in a fallen world, that's almost impossible to come by. And a lot of folks misthink that they have to be 100 percent certain of God's will before they will make a decision. And I can understand their thinking. You know, you're facing a life-changing decision, a potential marriage, a cross-country move, chemotherapy, uh, which college to attend, uh, a new career. And we want to know in advance beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm doing what God wants me to do. But it leaves us paralyzed with the inability to make a choice, because we think it's all up to us. Now here's what I was raised on that is not true. Let me clarify. When in doubt, don't. Okay, hold on. I would say in in morality, that's good. But in destiny, it's bad. And I'm going to prove it to you with Scripture. Are you ready? Did Noah know all about the flood? Well, no, he didn't even know about water. They didn't have lakes. They had never seen rain. God watered the earth with a dew from the ground. But he built the ark anyway. Did he have full understanding? Nope. Did Abraham have a GPS? No, but he left the Ur of Chaldees not knowing where he was going and obeyed God anyway. Did Moses understand what it meant to lead God's people out of Egypt? Nope, but he said yes when the Lord called him. Did Joshua know how it was possible for the walls to fall down of Jericho when marched around seven times? Absolutely not, but he marched around Jericho anyway. Did Gideon fully grasp God's plan to defeat the Midianites with trumpets and 300 men in lampstands? Nope, he doubted it from the beginning, but God delivered His people anyway. Did David have a clue what was going to happen to his life when Samuel the prophet came up and said to his father Jesse, this is the one? Nope, but the Spirit of the Lord came on him anyway. Did Jehoshaphat know how God was going to defeat the Ammonites? Nope, but he put his singers out in front of the army to praise God and sent them into battle anyway. You could add a hundred examples of that from the Bible. Did the three Hebrew children know they wouldn't be crispy critters when they went in the furnace? They did not. They said, we know our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we'll burn, not bow, and do the will of God. They did not know. Did Daniel know the lions wouldn't eat him when he was thrown into the pit? Not a clue. But they had to trust God. Did Peter know he could walk on water? Did Paul know what would happen when he finally got to Rome? They were left unknown. They just moved by faith. So, the answer is always no. The life of faith means living with uncertainty even in the midst of doing God's will. That's the whole point of Hebrews 11, the Hebrew hall of faith. By faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith uh, Rebekah, by faith, by faith, by faith Noah. Everybody had to believe God, trust God, even when they didn't know how the outcome would turn out. So too many people want what God never promised, 100 percent certainty before they'll act. So, they wait and wait the rest of their lives. It is rarely God's will to give you 100% certainty before you make important decisions. But you do the wisdom, you do the counsel, you do the prayer, you believe that God is with you, and you take the choice to know that God is going to guide my steps, and I have to pull the trigger and take a step of faith. Well, listen, it's not going to be fatal if it fails, so don't worry about it. Things don't work out like we thought. We make plans, but God's purposes are the ones that abide forever, not mine. Well, I thought, well, I was kind of counting on, yeah, but you said, not my will, thy will be done. See, here's principle number three. God simply wants you to be a guidable person who will trust Him with the details of your life. Guidable people look to God and not themselves. Ultimately, they know that after they've done all they can humanly, it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. So like young Samuel, they say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Or Isaiah, they say, here am I, Lord, send me. Or like the Lord Jesus, they pray, not my will, thy will be done. See how's this going to work out, Father? I'd really prefer not to go to the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. This is important to hear. Guidable people always receive guidance from God. God will always speak loud enough for a willing heart to hear, even if you have bad theology you know, I was raised in a very fundamental Baptist church. We wouldn't even buy shoes that had tongues in them. We were (laughs) anti-everything, anti-healing, anti-gifts of the Spirit, anti-miracles. We, only two miracles we believed in was a miracle attendance and miracle offering, and flesh could produce most of those. But I'll never forget, I was taught God doesn't do anything today. There are no words of knowledge or words of wisdom, that sort of stuff. And here I am 27 years old, or 28, I don't know, and I'm piloting a big twin-engine airplane, and my wife is pregnant. She's in the back of the plane, and we're flying from Columbia, South Carolina to Savannah, Georgia, and it's midnight. And I crank it up, and we go get our instrument clearance, and, and I do what I always do just before takeoff. I said, thank you, Lord, for a safe flight home. Now How difficult and complex is that prayer? It's just—I I don't have to have a special moment of wailing for four hours in prayer. You just talk to Him throughout the day, driving in the car. Lord, I ask for Your wisdom and help on this, or bless so-and-so who's going through this and help them. I'm in communication all the time, so I don't need this four-hour prayer over a meal. Some of you I'm not going to eat with, all right? My wife will go through menopause before you get through. I just walk with a relationship with the Lord. But, but the point was, I, this thing flashed across my mind, just in front of my eyes, Rudderlock, just rudderlock, And, man, I went white as the Pillsbury Doughboy, white, white, beyond cracker white. I was white. And I'm telling you, my heart doing, holy cow, I'm just 40 seconds from killing everybody. And God interrupted my bad theology, listen, but a good heart, I want the will of God. I've surrendered my life to you. I've got some bad teaching over here. God can overrule and speak to you by any means necessary. He made you, and He knows how to interrupt and get your attention. But don't believe that He has to do it for you the way He did it for somebody else. My kids are different. They respond differently. You're different. God knows you respond differently. He knows how to get your attention. Did you know God can speak to you from a movie? Something stand out and speak to your heart, or you could be talking at lunch with a friend and they just say something. They're not trying to be a counselor. Bam. God can speak to you through His Word, through a sermon, through a song. God can just speak to you through an unsaved business uh, CEO who doesn't know he's being used by. God spoke through a jackass to a prophet. Balaam's donkey. It's Bible. And I'm saying, God can use anything, but here am I not believing correctly, but I want to do God's will, and to save my life and to fill my future purpose, He interrupts it. And says, say, well, I know you don't believe in this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Boom! And save my life. Now, my charismatic friends don't believe God can use you or do anything if you don't have operating all the gifts of the Spirit and all that nonsense. Bull. God's in control of my life, and He can do anything He wants to at any time He wants to, even if I've been mistaught ignorantly, but my heart's good. I want to do the will of God. So I'm never worried that it's not going to work out all right. I'm not on Ambien. I don't take antidepressant drugs, and I sleep like a baby generally unless I'm in pain from a workout. I do, (laughs) right? Unless my wife wants to talk a long time, but other than that, I, I sleep good. Now if you're struggling with some of this, let me give you two prayers to pray. Prayer number one, Lord, let Your will be done in my life, even if it means my will not being done. Now, that's hard, because, you know, you want your own way. But when you're open to the Lord and you say, okay, just like Jesus, not my will, Thy will be done. And if my will is not right, then I want Your will to be done, He'll answer that prayer and He'll guide your steps. He'll shut a door. Somebody will abandon you. You'll plan a marriage. They're not going to come through. God's working through your life. It's painful. Sometimes there's a delay. It's expensive, but God's purposes will prevail. You can't stop it. This is what's really great. Here's the second one, and this one is a little more controversial, and I don't hear it preached much. Lord, I really don't want to do Your will. Would You make me willing do whatever's necessary to change my heart. Now that's an honest prayer. Some of you don't want to get that honest, but it's like saying, I know what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. And buddy, I'm telling you, I wanted to do anything but this. Lord, let me go shoot down MIG somewhere. Lord, let me import, export, and get a flat in Monte Carlo and something in South Beach and something in New York. Let me— No, I don't want to go in the ministry. I have a fast life. I like adventure, action, risk. I don't want to wear a boutonniere and kiss babies. I don't—and all the criticism of religion. I don't want that. So it took me three years to finally say, not my will. Thy will be done. So I'm just trying to be honest that sometimes—Joss Simpson, who's in his almost 90, was one of my mentors, and I remember he talked about an addiction to cigarettes he had. Cigarettes ain't going to send you to hell. It's an addiction. And being raised in the South, we were all raised with tobacco, snuff, chewing tobacco, and cigarettes. Even the kids did it. My teachers all in high school dipped snuff, spit in a Coke can. That's all my classes. Anybody anybody grow up in the South? That was just—that was culture. It wasn't like, ooh, disgusting. Forget disgusting. We didn't know anything. I mean, we, we had no—we thought gravy was a beverage. We didn't know. And, and he had a 20-year addiction to cigarettes as a Southern Baptist pastor. And he said, I'd pray. I'd fast. I'd go to the altar. I'd rededicate my life. <laughs> Nothing worked. And he said—finally, he said, I just got honest. Now, listen to what he said. This is Charles Simpson talking to me. He said, I just said, Lord. Here's the real truth. I hadn't been delivered because I don't want to be. I love cigarettes. I'd eat them if I could. I'd chew them up slowly if I could. I love them, and I don't want to quit. But I know it's bad for me. As a leader, help me become willing to quit. He said, for the first—now, God—see, God answers an honest prayer. He knows you've been lying for all your rededication, counseling, and prayer. Half the people that come for prayer are lying. They're not telling the truth. Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me here. Why don't you just say, I don't want to, but I ought to. Please make me willing to. And he can turn the heart any way he wants to. It's a beautiful thing. Just tell him the truth. He knows the truth anyway. Might be a little dangerous for you, but it's still true. Principle number four, when the time comes, make the best decision you can and leave the results with God. That's from everything else I've shared in this message, when time to decide comes, when you've thought about it, prayed about it, talked about it, sought godly counsel, researched your options, looked at the circumstance, searched the Scriptures, and you've waited on God, and you've done everything you know how to do, you have to take the plunge. You have to make the choice. Go ahead and make the best decision you can make. And when you've done that, leave the results to God. Because God's purpose will stand. And if yours are not, He will correct it, He will redeem it, and He will still keep you on the right path to your future destiny and will not forsake you. He wants you to know His will more than you want to know it. And He has enough trouble getting us to do His will without trying to make it any harder to find. I don't think personally, if you want the will of God, you can miss it. I really don't. One woman who is a national women's speaker was here. We had dinner with her after the service, it's been several years ago, and somebody else in the nation was preaching something that you'd miss heaven if you miss the will of God for your life, and when you get to heaven, God's going to say, well, you've done this for 20 years, and you should have been this. And all it did was paralyze her. She was in guilt, shame, and condemnation, and fear. She said, all this fear. And I said, wait a minute. The fruit of what that man just preached is producing everything anti-Scripture in you. There is no condemnation to those in Christ, so that didn't come from, from God. There's no peace in your heart. That didn't come from God. And I says, you're anxious and worried about missing the will of God. I said, that didn't come from God. So, I asked her one little simple question to end the whole thing. I said, let me give you a simple solution. If you knew it was the will of God for you to do something else than what you're doing, would you do it? I remember she looked at me, and now she's bold. She said, in a New York minute, and I says, well, then let's eat. You ain't missed anything. If you need to move and do something, God will let you know, and you're doing exactly what you believe God wants you to do, and if you knew He wanted you to do something else, you'd do it. You're fine. Relax, and she said, I slept like a baby that night, and so you've got to realize that. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, And if He doesn't speak, I can't move. But He will get my attention if He needs to. And even when we make choices, and some of them don't go so well, God's still directing my steps and your steps so I don't panic over it. Leaving a career, leaving a low-interest mortgage, leaving a beautiful home on the intercoastal waterway in Savannah, Georgia, and taking a risk to come into a city with no capital, no income, no sponsors, nothing? I'm telling you, you think—I don't know— if you think I'm real spiritual, but I was thinking, you know, the odds are really against me. This just might not work. And how about Cindy? She has to follow me. And that wasn't real cute either. She she wasn't a, the white virgin of the Nile doing that one either. She she. There was a little bit of, there was a little bit of anxiousness, and, well, are you sure? And uh, how, what if it doesn't work? And I, I didn't need the devil bothering me. Cindy kept talking to me, so I was doing, I was really worried. I, I, I just thought, honey, we've done all the counseling, all the praying, and I'm done. I think God wants me to do it, so I'm going to take the risk. And if it goes, it goes, and if it doesn't, it's His baby, it's His problem, He will direct my steps where He wants me to go. And I've lived that way ever since that day. So, I've been there, done it, and got a t-shirt. Don't you worry about it. God will take you there. There are going to be difficult decisions, but you make the choices after prayer, after wisdom, after counseling. Use your best intelligence, and at the end of the day, go to bed and relax. One last illustration, and we're done. I have a pastor friend who was at a conference where Dr. Dallas Willard, a very famous uh, author, a Christian advisor, was was speaking. He wrote him a letter of thanks for the messages. Didn't expect to get a letter back, but uh, Dallas Willard wrote him a note thanking him. Uh, Over the next year or two, he sent one or two little notes expressing his uh, uh, blessing to Dr. Willard, and Dr. Willard sent a couple of notes back, and that's about it. Nothing big. But he went through this terrible difficulty in his church where he's being criticized. The church and leaders are all resisting everything he wants to do. People were sniping at each other and everything he tried to do, so he decided to go away on a little retreat. And while on the t- retreat, he said, I'm just going to write Dr. Willard and ask for his advice. So, he started to write him a letter, but he got into it, got emotionally involved, and I mean, he wrote an autobiography, and he said, I, I knew I was writing too much, but I couldn't stop. But he wrote and wrote and wrote, and finally this great epistle was finished. And he said, the moment I dropped that letter in the mailbox, I had doubts. He said, I wanted to stick my arm in and get the letter back out, but I knew I couldn't. He hoped he hadn't offended this great leader who he held in high esteem by writing such an incredible note It's so long. Well, days passed, then a week, and then another week, and he said to himself, you know, I guess I was stupid to write such a long letter, I'll probably never hear from Dallas Willard again. Well, a month came, another month came, and finally this friend of mine forgot all about it. Then one day he got a letter in the mail for Dr. Willard. It came with two sentences on one page. Here's what it said, dear friend, thanks for writing. I think you should get up every day, do whatever you believe God wants you to do, and stop worrying so much about what other people think. Love in Christ, Dallas Willard. (laughs) That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I think God's in it. If the board and I, we pray together, we get an agreement, we come into consent. It says in the New Testament book of Acts, they said when they made selections, it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. They reasoned. They talked. They prayed and they said, it seemed good to us. That's the best you can do about choosing a school, choosing a mate. You've carefully analyzed. Is there perfect perfection in it? No. But there has to be faith that no matter what, God still will redeem this situation for my good and for his glory. And I'm gonna go to sleep, not worry about it. I think that's enough said. I'm trying to show you it's not possible for anybody to have 100 percent certainty. Making an investment, there's risk. Count the cost. Do the, but God will still redeem it. Even if you made a loss, but you, you did the right thing with a good heart, and it was a loser, God will ultimately redeem it. I just don't think you can miss it, folks. The width of God's will is huge, and because He's sovereign. You aren't bad enough or big enough to mess it up so that he can't redeem it. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.